Welcome to day one of how to build a godly and manly foxhole. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson of Undaunted Life. Let's get into it. So you've heard it all before, that men are lonely, men don't have any friends, men don't have other men that they can count on, men aren't engaged in the church, in their homes or at their workplaces, men aren't leading themselves or others. You've heard a lot of things like this and even things that I didn't even list there, okay? And guess what? That's pretty much true. At least it is for a lot of men. So many men are indeed lonely. They don't have real close friends. They don't have other men that they can actually count on. They aren't engaged in any real way in the church or in their homes or at their jobs. And they aren't leading themselves and they're especially not leading others. And so guys, even if that doesn't describe you completely, at least some of that is true for a lot of us. And, or you've really seen that in many of the people in your peer group. So there are a lot of people that have really tried to figure out why this is, because this is an actual problem. This is an issue for a lot of men. This is an issue for a lot of people. And the people that are trying to figure this out are many. So you have pastors trying to figure this out. You know, what exactly is going on with the people inside of our flock? You have politicians trying to figure this out. Yeah. I mean, they need to figure this out so they can get your vote. But even psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists and and on and on, they've all wondered, and many of them allowed, why this is. Why are these things true of so many men? And and there are a lot of reasons that are given for this, and and the reasons are varied, and some of them are random. But one, one that I've heard is the digital revolution. So men are this way because we have cell phones and because we have social media and because we can play video games online with people across the world. And maybe there's some truth to that. There's also people that talk about how the feminization of culture has potentially led to that. So we've had first, second, and third wave feminism, and that has led to the feminization of a lot of men and the masculinization of a lot of women, but that has caused some issues for men in our culture. That's certainly a a potential reason. There's also the decline of the father, right? And so I I don't mean that in a heavenly sense. I just mean that in the father, the, the father being there, the father being in the home, and we have rampant fatherlessness and the, the numbers for fatherlessness and the stats, they keep getting worse year by year. They don't get better. But we've even heard some arguments about maybe it's a reliance on the government as opposed to our community or to ourselves. Maybe that has something to do with it. And this, this isn't a political show here, but there are a lot of reasons that might go into that. But I think there is some merit to some of those various reasons. But I, I think that ultimately, The reason, the real reason is simpler than that. And it's this, men don't have a foxhole. And I don't typically mean that in in a military sense. I mean, obviously some of you have been in a real foxhole. That's been an actual experience that you've had. But for most of us, I just mean generally. And, And we'll get into much more detail as to what a foxhole is in day five of this devotional. But here's what a foxhole is in a nutshell. A foxhole is a group of men that constantly push each other to be better. So they're pushing each other to develop spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And we'll certainly get much more into that later. But they're also pushing them to to be a stellar husband, to, to be a phenomenal father, to be a successful person at their work or in their business. They're pushing them in all these ways. Okay, so in this devotional, we're going to get really, really practical towards the end. All right, but I want to kind of take you on a journey for how you individually can build a godly and manly foxhole. So let me give you a breakdown of what the devotional is going to look look like in each of these seven days, okay? So day one, this is today, we're going to be talking about what makes a godly man. We'll get to that here in just a second. Day two, what makes a manly man. 
Day three, can you be both godly and manly? Day four, was Jesus a manly man? Day five, what is a foxhole? Day six, why do men need a foxhole? And day seven, how do you build and maintain your voxel? Okay, so for day one of this devotional, we're going to answer the question, what makes a godly man? And as with most things that are worth answering that you need an answer to, you need to go to scripture for guidance. And today is going to be a little bit different than the other six days of this devotional. Today is going to be rapid fire scripture day. Okay, so on the other days, we will go deep on certain scriptures or on certain stories from the Bible. But today we're going to be focus, you know, focusing mainly on the macro story, right? 30,000 foot view, the macro narrative. So the two ways that I want to formulate how we're going to operate today is we're going to look at two things. The first thing is truce outside the self. And the second thing is truce displayed publicly. Okay, so truce outside of self, that is basically the narrative of humanity. Okay, and then truths displayed publicly, that's where we're really going to get tangible and answer the question, what makes a godly man? So let's go ahead and get into the first one here, and that's truths outside the self. That's the narrative of humanity. And so by that, I mean that these are truths that exist outside of you. Okay, you can't cause or change these truths, but you do have to participate in them, right? They're true whether you believe in them or not. It's kind of like gravity. Like we don't get to opt in to whether or not gravity is real. If we jump off a building, we're not going to float into outer space. We're going to hit the ground. That's just basically the reality. You don't have to believe in it. It's just true. But here is the story. This is the narrative of humanity. We were created to be like God. We blew it. We now require deliverance to become pure before the eyes of a holy and just God. God sent Jesus to pay for the sins of humanity. We simply have to accept God's free gift of grace and salvation. That's the story of humanity. So we're going to break down each one of those individually because this will really help us crescendo towards answering the question is what is a godly man? So the first part, we were created to be like God. So we see this in Genesis 1 verse 27 and says this, So God created man in his own image, in the image God he created him, male and female, he created them. And so just as a, you know, quick housekeeping thing, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version for all of these. So if if you're wondering which version I'm going to be in, it will be the ESV. But again, there in Genesis 127, that's the definition of godliness. It's literally being like God, sharing the characteristics and makeup of God. So we were created to be like him. But then we get into the next part of the story, which is that we blew it. And that's Genesis 3, 1 through 24. And I'm not going to read that for you here. You can read that on your own. It'll certainly be in the notes. But that's the story of the fall. And the story of the fall, frankly, is the story of us all. That's how we got to where we are right now, regardless of the situation you're in. It's broken in some form or fashion. But I do want to point out one little bit of detail, and that's in Genesis 3, 1. So the uh, the very first verse of that chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this is just an interesting thing. This is our enemy and our enemy is so unbelievably crafty and you got to give it up to the devil because a lot of people think the devil does these, these incredibly insanely evil things. And he certainly does, but it's those little mistruths. Those little times when he knocks you off of your, your guided path, that, that's how he really gets you. And that's all it really took for us to blow it, for us as humanity, as a creation of God, to blow it. 
Then we get into the next part of the story here, and that's that we now require deliverance to become pure before the eyes of a holy and just God. And we see this with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, we cannot present ourselves before the eyes of a holy and just God if we are impure and we require deliverance for that purity. Next part of the story is that God sent Jesus to pay for the sins of humanity. So in Luke 19.10, we see Jesus say this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And then that really goes nicely into 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is Paul speaking. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent Jesus so that we could have a path to the Father. And then the last part of the story here is that we simply have to accept God's free gift of grace and salvation. And so we're going to go back to Paul. This is Romans 10 verses 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So everyone, that, that is the story that we're living in. That's the narrative of humanity. Again, we were created to be like God. We blew it. We now require deliverance to become pure before the eyes of a holy and just God. God sent Jesus to pay for the sins of humanity. And we simply have to accept God's free gift of grace and salvation. Now, that kind of sets the tone. That sets the stage for where we're at in terms of this story. And, and you're going to find yourself somewhere in that story. But this leads us to the truths that are displayed publicly. The second big thing that we're going to be talking about. And this is where we really start to answer what makes a godly man. Because a godly man has to exist inside that narrative, right? There are, there are parameters to this story. And so what I was able to do is, is go to the scriptures to glean out 10 main characteristics from the Bible of what a godly man is. And certainly there are more. And I probably could have, you know, cut this list down a little bit, but these 10 just, they're just screaming from scripture for us. So this will really set the tone for the rest of the days of this devotional. So we'll go to number one here. A godly man has surrendered his life to Christ. So we look at Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so that's a pretty simple thing from the very beginning. You can't really be a godly man if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. I mean, that, that's pretty basic Christianity 101 type stuff. And, and I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are on kind of that early scale, that, you know, that very immature scale of, of being coming a Christian. And then you have a lot of mature Christians. Maybe you've been a Christian for decades, but that's where this all starts. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, then you can't be a godly man. It's impossible. So the second thing here is a godly man is selfless, not selfish selfless. So we're going to go to Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So this is Jesus from the very beginning talking to his disciples. And it's like, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we do this whole following you thing, becoming a disciple of you thing? Like, how, how do we make that happen? And he said to deny yourself. Don't worry about yourself because I've got you. I'm Jesus. Like I'm, I'm going to make sure you're okay. You just worry about following me. That's all you need to worry about. Be selfless. Don't think about your needs. I've got you squared away. I've got you taken care of. Awesome. 
So number three, a godly man strives for holiness. And, and I really want to put emphasis on that word, strives for holiness, not, you know, thinks they might become holy at some point and thinks that they should do holy things from time to time. No, no, no. You are striving for holiness. So we see this in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 18. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that last part there, that is a reference to Leviticus 11.44. So a godly man strives for holiness. That is something that you're just looking at every single day. How can I be holy in all these situations that I'm going through? Number four, a godly man is repentant. So we see this in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance. And that just doesn't mean saying, oh God, I'm real sorry about that bad thing I did. No, it's, it's turning away from a lifestyle of sin. That's what a godly man does. And you make a habit of that, right? You look for those deep and dark pockets of your life where you've got some sin, you've got some things that you're hiding from the people that you love, things that you think you're hiding from God, which if we see in Genesis, that's just not a possible thing for you to do. But a godly man is repentant. And I would even add to the scripture there, I know you're not supposed to do that, but I would add a little bit there and just say, repents quickly. So this isn't like a you know long, arduous process of, let me just think through this. Let me just kind of make sure, let, let me do a flow chart. Let me kind of figure out you know pros and cons list, whether or not I should repent now. No, you recognize via the Holy Spirit that what you've done is wrong and sinful and is going to hurt the heart of God, and you repent immediately for that. And then number five, a godly man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. So you probably knew this was going to happen. We're going to go to Ephesians 5 here. So we're going to look at 20 or 22 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands show love, uh, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so I, I should obviously throw in here, some of you don't have wives. I've got some young men listening to this or, or some folks that maybe have never been married before, but a godly man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. So don't just skip over this one because you're not a husband. Don't just skip over this because you don't have a wife currently. Because if you are not married currently and you're not called to a life of singleness, this is what you strive for. This is the target. Think about it like working out, like, you know, maybe you're younger and you want to be a power lifter someday, or you want to be an Olympic level wrestler or something like that. You can look to people that already have attained that type of status or really accomplished what you're looking to accomplish, even though you don't have that right now. So that's kind of an easy and maybe even a silly example. But for those of you that are single, that are not married, this is the standard. So you shouldn't be waiting for that, that first, you know, marriage counseling session to figure out, well, okay, what am I supposed to be? What's my role here as a husband? You should know that now. And for those of you that are married, again, that's the standard. A godly man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And, and that is just a, a mind-blowing thing to even think about because of how deeply and outwardly Christ loved the church. So that's very important. 
Then we have number six. A godly man is sexually pure. Mm, yeah, I had to go there. I'm sorry, guys. Well, actually, no. You know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all that I went there because this is incredibly important for, for every man because this is a tremendous struggle for a lot of guys. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, guys, I know this is going to be the tough one because there are beautiful women everywhere. There is pornography everywhere. There is explicit jokes and language and videos and and clips everywhere you look. Even when you're not looking for them, they will find you. But a godly man is sexually pure. And that starts with your eyes. When you're tempted to look at someone or something that you know is not for you, it's not your spouse, right? Are you bouncing your eyes off? to the next thing? Are you praying to God, hey, help me in this moment because I'm finding this to be a tempting situation. I, I want to look at the waitress or I want to look to that, at that person on the beach. Do I need to take myself out of this situation, Lord? You do what's required of you to remain sexually pure, realizing that as a man, you are wired to not do that. You are wired to look around and gaze on all these beautiful things that God's created. And you have a bunch of dumb friends that are telling you, oh man, it's just natural. It's just looking. It's no big deal. But you know better. A godly man knows better that that's not just checking out the waitress. You're, you're doing something with her without actually doing it to her. The standard is clear that Jesus set out for us, that if you looked after a woman and lusted after her, you've already had sin in your own heart. You've already adultered in that situation. So we have to avoid that regardless. So a godly man is sexually pure. The next one here, number seven, a godly man protects his mind. And this goes back to number six. So it's kind of hard to be sexually pure if you're not protecting your mind, but this also is applicable as a standalone. So a godly man protects his mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, one of my favorite scriptures ever. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So again, like I said, this can be applied individually, but I do want to attach it to number six. That's why these are back to back. But if you're tempted to check out somebody, if you're tempted to look at somebody and lust after them, you need to take that thought captive. You need to take it captive immediately and make it accountable to Christ. Because in that time, you're going to have that discussion with yourself where it's like, oh, I'm just looking. It's no big deal. Uh, this happens all the time. All my friends are doing, you know, all those silly, stupid, immature examples. But in that moment, you know, as a godly man, you're not allowed to do that. And so taking that back down to where we're talking about just being able to protect your mind, that also applies to cultural things. Perhaps somebody is trying to explain something to you or argue something politically or philosophically that you know is counter to what God would want for the world, God would want for that situation, or God would want for you or that person. And you have to protect your mind and keep those bad thoughts out, those bad arguments out. You don't want them to, let, to to kind of creep in. And again, this isn't a political show today, but there are a lot of things happening in the political climate, in the culture writ large, that are having that effect on people, that are having that effect on the church. We're seeing this slow creep of culture to where now the church is downstream of culture as opposed to the other way around. That's an issue. So a godly man protects his mind. Number eight, a godly man is humble. Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And, and I know for some of you, maybe you're competitive. Uh, maybe you were trying to be, you know, top of your class or trying to get the big time job or, or trying to make sure everyone knew your name. 
And the temptation when you're doing that is to be the one beating your own chest right? The, the one that's got the neon sign blinking above you saying, no, no, hey, everybody listen to me. Everybody look at me. This is how good I am. This is how talented I am. This is how amazing I'm going to be if you let me be a part of your team. But a godly man is humble. Some of the best men that I know, I've never heard them talk about the things that they've accomplished. I have two mentors specifically that come to mind. These men just don't toot their own horn. They don't even have a horn right? Like if they do, it's a rusty one. That's like in the shed or something like that. These guys just remain humble, but they're incredibly successful. They have incredibly strong marriages and relationships in their life, but they don't have to tell you about it. So so for some of you, that's just natural. You you never toot your own horn, but for others of you, maybe there's a pride issue there. For for me, that's certainly been an issue to where it's like, no, no, no. I need people to know this is happening. I need them to know I had this great idea but it's not about you. Again, we should be pointing people to the father and a great way of doing that is to remain humble. Number nine, a godly man does not rely on his own strength alone. So Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I will say that that scripture has been on basically every football helmet and, and, you know, every basketball halftime speech. Like it's, it's out there for all those reasons. So God probably doesn't mean he's helping you score a touchdown or helping you get up that last, you know, rep on bench press. That's probably not what God's talking about. He's probably letting you know that, hey, you're weak. You are especially weak if you operate without me. However, again, this is God talking. If you rely on my strength, you will be strong. Because for us, especially men, we think we can do it. Even if we're, we're kind of unsure, we're going to try. Nah, I don't need your help. Nah, I, I'm, I'm going to do it myself with bootstraps or whatever. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Like, this is just the way that we're going to do it. That's not necessarily how you should be operating. And certainly, that is not what a godly man would do. Because in almost every situation, we are not enough to get the job done. Sure, you might be able to fix a sink. Sure, you might be able to throw a spiral 30 yards or 40 yards or 50 yards. Maybe. Maybe that's you but you don't have the strength to take care of everything. And I don't just mean your list of things to do for the day. I mean, just in general, you don't have the strength to be a good husband all the time. You don't have the strength to be a doting father all the time. You don't have the strength to be the best friend that anyone that ever runs into you can be in all those moments. You have to rely on God. And especially in those times when you're knocked down. When life has just punched you in the gut, you've lost a job, you, you took that phone call and lost a family member and dropped to your needs. In those moments, you are not enough. And that is the best news I could have given you because a godly man would never just rely on their own strength. They would rely on the strength of God, the strength of the Father. And the last one here, number 10, a godly man loves God and his neighbor. So we're going to look at Mark 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
So guys, as I reminded you from the beginning, this is not an exhaustive list, right? This is just 10 that I pulled out that I thought were the most potent and the most pertinent for you and applicable immediately. So this is the list again of kind of what makes a godly man. Number one, a godly man has surrendered his life to Christ. Number two, a godly man is selfless. Number three, a godly man strives for holiness. Number four, a godly man is repentant. Number five, a godly man loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Number six, a godly man is sexually pure. Number seven, a godly man protects his mind. Number eight, a godly man is humble. Number nine, a godly man does not rely on his own strength alone. And number 10, a godly man loves God as his neighbor. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up with some questions for you to consider, and we're going to do that with each one of these days because I want to give you some things to chew on. And here's the thing. These are questions for you to ask yourself. So before you move on to the next thing, here are some questions for you to chew on. Number one, where do I fit into the narrative of humanity? So go back to the, the beginning part of this episode where we talked about that narrative humanity. Where are you? You know, because there is a need to believe the good news of the gospel and to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the rest of the stuff that we talked about in the episode, the, the, the godliness characteristics, you could have some of those, but it has to be in the right order. And so it starts with you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that right now, say a prayer. Say a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to come into your life, to be the Lord of your life, and dedicate yourself in that prayer to serving Him. Certainly do that. So that's number one. Where do I fit into the narrative of humanity? The second question for you to chew on is this. How many of the godly attributes listed in this devotional do I possess? And, and this is kind of a tough one because if you look at that list, if you write them down or go into the notes and look at that list of 10, man, it's going to be hard for some of you to even check off one box. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing for you. I'm saying you're normal. <laughs> I mean, do some of those people check off one or two boxes? I mean, it's going to be almost impossible to, to not, you know, to, to, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in that situation. And then the third one we have is this. Do I have men around me that are pushing me to sharpen or develop these godly attributes? And this is where the rubber really meets the road with the remainder of what we're going to be talking about today. Do I have, or not today, but with this entire devotional, do I have men around me that are pushing me to sharpen or develop these godly attributes? And then what I would add to that is, am I doing that for other men? So again, the three questions for you today, where do I fit into the narrative of humanity? How many of the godly attributes listed in this devotional do I possess? And do I have men around me that are pushing me to sharpen or develop these godly attributes? All right, guys, for more content like this, check out the rest of our podcast episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review and a five-star rating and check out our website at www.undaunted.life. Make sure you come back tomorrow for day two, where we discuss what makes a manly man. Until then, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.